Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Welcome to episode 8 of series 2 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. Big shout out to the Shire Baron Cafe in Killarney and to Vintry Harbour Asset Management for the continued support. We really appreciate it guys. This week we're delighted to be joined by former Bohemian stalwart and current Dundalk star Keith Ward. Ward is regarded as one of the league's classiest operators over the past decade and has been a key to nurturing the next generation of players with Bohemians. The 31-year-old has returned for a third stint at Dundalk under former St. Pat's manager Stephen O'Donnell. There's no doubt we have a huge amount to cover, so let's bring him on. Hi Keith, thanks for taking time out to come on into a view podcast. How are you keeping? I'm good, but I'm good. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Brilliant, brilliant. I know you've uh, you've recently joined um, joined Dundalk, so I know you're you're still settling in at the moment and just getting things sorted, but. Let's bring it back to, you know, I suppose pre-COVID and those couple of weeks when COVID did kick in. What was that time like for you? How do you deal with that? Yeah, look, it was it was strange. I don't think anyone knew what was going on at the time. Um, to be honest, I'm all right with kind of stuff like that. It was fine. Look, I, I was working at the time, uh, part-time. I was with balls, so I'm sure like ev- everyone else, everything kind of stopped and that... Um, yeah, look, it, it wasn't great. It was very difficult for some people, I, I imagine. But for me, it, it was like, look, I was able to continue playing football and that kind of lost my job and that. But it wasn't the biggest deal because I obviously had my football. But uh, no, it, it, it wasn't great, obviously. But uh, it was something, obviously, I was okay with. But uh, I'm sure a lot of people were a lot worse off. And... Uh... Just, I suppose, uh, out of curiosity as well, you, you, you said you were part-time, so you like you weren't full-time with balls, you, you had a permanent job as well, had you? Yeah, so, so like, kind of, our, my week would be between balls and my job. I was working for a craft beer company, it was merchandise, and it was fine, I was working Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, so I was just literally going around kind of super values or freshers and that, going in making sure we were stocked out with all our beers there. So it was fine. And then my bowls week would be training Monday evening, Tuesday evening, Thursday evening, game Friday, and then we'd be in Saturday morning. So it was fine. You know, the, the, the three days work was okay. You know what I mean? And then with bowls, it was grand. So my week was fairly big in both. Good. No, I, I, that's totally good. Because I know, are some guys with bowls, are they full-time professionals or has that just only changed recently? Well, like, look, we're part-time at Bowles when I was there because we train in the evenings, but they're full-time. Look, we train as much as anyone. We do a lot of hours. Like, obviously, it's just because you're in in the evening. Mm-hmm. It's fast as part-time, but we train the same amount of days. The only thing is, now that I'm in with Dundalk, you can kind of get double sessions in with the gym and that. But because when you're at Bowles and lads work, they're coming from work, you don't get that time, you know, but... uh Look, when I was at Bowles, we trained as much as anyone else. It's just because you're training. The- and with, with Dundalk, no, it's full-time professional, is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. So most mornings we're in for half nine. 
uh, on the pitch for half ten, probably train till twelve, and then do a gym session in the evening, food and get home. So I'm home half two, maybe most days, which is nice. Um, it's better. It's a lot better. Look, training in the mornings. Um, you're not waiting around for training all day, especially if you're not working. So it's good. You can come home and you just do a lot more when you train in the morning. Have your evenings up there. Yeah, there's there's more of a kind of a structure to the to the day. Back to the COVID thing. Um, like what would you've learned through that time? You know, I suppose upon reflection, I know COVID is still kind of there, but we say those intense couple of weeks when the League of Ireland was effectively stopped for a while. Yeah, look, like, like as a person, it was just, it was strange, you know, not being able to go to shops or whatever like that. Look, it was difficult. You're locked in the house with your family. I'm sure everyone was fighting that, like, you know, but uh, the football and that, it, it was strange. It was, it was very strange. We were doing a lot of Zooms, a lot of Zooms, like in the mornings, gym Zooms and that, like doing press-ups in my bedroom, sweating, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't great, like, but uh, to be fair to Bose during the lockdowns and that they were brilliant the staff were brilliant they kept us fake kept us over kept us busy because you know it's like a lot of people were locked up indoors and that like it was great even on the zoom just still having a bit of crack with the lads still working out and like a lot of people didn't have that that weren't working so uh at the time i was like jeez we're doing a lot here but when you look back at it it was great you know because you're up every day they got us out of bed at 10 o'clock say you're not lying in bed and then we'd be back on later that evening even little stupid things like they'd have us doing quizzes and that like so it was it was great at the time you probably didn't appreciate it as much but when you look back now it, it was brilliant what the staff had us doing and they kept us busy yes it's, it's, it was definitely a weird time isn't it like the last two years i suppose in in five in four or five years time when when this has been the rear view mirror, we're going to look back and it's going to be like, geez, that, those two years when COVID was around, it was crazy. Mad. And the biggest thing I take, just as, as a footballer playing the league, playing without fans was awful. Awful. And I even found it watching the Premiership, look, I'm a United fan. Um, to get, to get, it's not the same without the fans. Even the score, some of the scorelines in the Premiership, I think United... Lost six one to Spurs, Villa B, Liverpool eight two. Like it's just it like it's not as enjoyable. Like even our games, it's kind of false. You need that atmosphere, that kind of ooze and ass from the crowd that you play off. You don't even realise it until it's taken away how much you need it. Like it's 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 just honest to God, if they, like you'd stop playing or stop playing if this happened again and there was no fans, honestly, it's just and it, you don't realise it until obviously it happens. Obviously, I hope it never happens again with the crowds, but uh, that's the biggest thing I take from it as a footballer. So it did really open your eyes about what's most important of fans. Yeah, and like like you said, like especially like playing the derby games and that, like it just takes that bite out of the game. You know that bit of like where you get it from the crowd. It's mad. You, you probably don't have it in your game until the crowd are there, and then you're like, whoa, but. Yeah, I just I found it very false some of the games and just weren't hundred percent wasn't the same. Looking back at it, look, I suppose this not underselling the whole thing, but would it? Do you find it difficult to kind of get up for a game if the fans weren't there? Yeah, I did, I did, absolutely. Um, look, I felt, I felt lucky to have had a half decent career in the League of Ireland. You know, I've get to play every week in front of fans you know uh, so when you're turning up to the game and they're not there 
it's taken away the buzz of playing for bowls and playing in front of a good crowd in Daily Mount and away fans coming and making it a game, you know. So that's the biggest thing about playing League of Ireland. It's not that you're playing football, you're saying you're playing in front of a few thousand every week and like that's all you want at the end of the day. Like, look, it's a bonus and it's great that you get paid and that you're living, but the best thing about being a footballer is playing in front of fans, I think. I suppose it's something that, you know, a lot of players didn't kind of realise until, until COVID, like, because... Um, it must, yeah, it must have been very, very weird. Uh, I can only imagine just trying to get yourself psyched up. Obviously, you would be psyched up, but there's probably you kind of saw the difference yeah. away from you. It is it's just that thing, and you don't even I don't know how to explain it, but it's just not there when you're tipping off. It's not the same, and you try to be it's like a friendly you treat every game like it's friend, or not, don't treat a game like it's friend, but it's a friendly at the end of the day. So, you know, <laughs> you know, that thing, like it's the same with fans, like. Oh, there's fans wait watching at home, they're tuning in with the Watch League of Ireland, and you're like, do it for them at home. And you're like, yeah, but it's, you, you want them there, you know what I mean? It's just hard to get that. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's hard. Hopefully it's all in the, the rear view mirror. Did you find it um, difficult, you know, I suppose, you know, not the Zoom sessions, but when you went back on the pitch and that social distancing element, was, was that challenging? Um. A little bit, a little bit. Um, look, I, I'm fine with it all. I'm a little bit okay with all that. Look, each of their own. It's more just feeling uncomfortable around someone else who's not as comfortable with it. Mm. You know, like, I'll chat. I'm quite lively around the dressing room. So I'm all right. It's just once I'm not making someone else feel uncomfortable. You know what I mean? But to be fair to me, I'm all right. And look, each of their own, everyone. But I found it all right. But look, it, it was strange, especially with the mask. Oh, like it seems so silly. Like, you know, we're on the pitch, we're training, then we get on a bus and we can't sit beside each other like that. <laughs> yeah. It was what it was. And look, at the end of the day, I think everyone was trying their best and they were what they could and that. So you, you just have to get on with it. Like. I know, you, look, you've played a huge amount um, in the League of Ireland and, you know, you, you're playing at the, at the highest standard in the league. Um, I saw the geographic location of all the clubs. Most of them kind of in around, to say Dublin and, and that area, um, and obviously up up towards the north as well. There's not many. Obviously, you've Cork City and you've Limerick now. Um, do you think, say, that side of the country has been kind of neglected, or you know, to get the football, get interest in football there? Because obviously in Dublin, the rivalry. Because I lived in Dublin for a couple of years, the rivalry, you know, between Bowes and Shamrock Rovers, it's it's great to see, like. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, look, I think it's massive not having Cork in the league. Um, even seeing their rivalry with Dundalk there for a few years when they're about up the top and that, like that's what you want to see. Like, like obviously the Dublin derbies are always going to be that, but I think it's great when you see something like that. Like there could be that now with Pats and Dundalk this year with the manager and that. So that's yeah. good. That's good for the league. That's what we want. That's what neutrals want. Um. It's a shame, especially what happened to Cork, you know, Limerick have kind of been up and down, haven't they? But that was a tough place to go when they're at it as well. The crowds are there. I think Limerick have the potential. It's more the grounds. I find it hard that some, some of the clubs don't have the grounds. Like when Cork is, uh, when they're on top and you go down to Turner's Cross and there's a big crowd there, like that's as hard as it gets around the country, as hard as a game. And Cork are always big and physical. And it's like, oh, do you fancy this? And then you have the crowd behind them. And that's so it's a real like without I think the League of Ireland needs Cork. Hopefully, you know, they get it back. But um yeah, there's a lot of Dublin teams in the league at the moment, actually. So uh, I think the League of Ireland League of Ireland needs 
your Corks in the league and that, and even a Limerick or a Galway or something, just to kind of, I don't know, have that kind of competitiveness. Yeah, and it, it would definitely get the competitiveness and it would definitely, you know, obviously increased interest in areas where I suppose the GA is very strong, you know, and I suppose in Munster it would be extremely strong. Not saying that in Dublin, sure, Dublin were flying the last couple of years as well, but it just, yeah, definitely agree with you. Like, I remember years ago watching Cork, like, you know, Turner's Cross used to be heaving, like, in, yeah. in all the games. Um, just I, before COVID, it was been bounced around for a while. Um, I don't know what the current situation is now, but about the possibility of, of joining up uh, the league in Northern Ireland and the league in the South. What's your thoughts, feelings around that? I, I, I don't see that as a bad thing. Um, I, I experienced playing the Stand Cup a few times with uh, Dundalk and Bowles. Um, one of my first games, my actual debut for Dundalk when I signed in 2011, we played there Valentine's Night in the Stand Cup. I couldn't believe it, especially down in um, what is Northern Ireland's ground, Linfield's ground called? Oh yeah, that yeah, that's the, yeah, Northern Ireland, but yeah, and, like I mean, you know, we had a great crowd up, and they had a good crowd, and there was that real bite, you know, the borders and that, and Dundalk around the border. It was brilliant. It was some atmosphere, you know. And they came down to our place, and I came from UCD, kind of. So I hadn't really experienced my own fans and that. And I was like, this is unreal. Like, and to be fair, like. Over the years, when they have played, say, the Irish against the Northern Irish team, we've always came out the stronger. But they seem to be doing doing well at the moment. Um, I think a lot of money investing into some of the teams. Glenn Torrin, players, and Larn and Linfield, they all seem to be going full-time now. So that can only be a good thing. But um, I'd like to see maybe, like I said, hand the cup come back or something like that, because I think that competitiveness is there, and it's something different for the league, which is good. Yeah, it's unfortunate that COVID came around because you know there was the present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's as well and keeps the fans interested in that. Like you know what I mean. But uh, like you said, I I always enjoyed going up and playing against Glen Torren and Cliftonville and Linfield and that. Like so, like it's great for me as a player to experience that as well. And to be fair, any time I went up, we always had a good crowd and a good crowd came down and that. So it seemed to have that kind of competitiveness and that as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Hopefully, something you know, something might be done. It's probably put back a while now because of COVID and the effects on on the League of Ireland and clubs. But yeah, there's definitely opportunities there. Is there many full time teams now in the league, in League of Ireland? Yeah, like if you go through, like Shamrock Rovers will be there. are Dundalk are Sligo are. I think Shells could be, um, Finn Harps aren't. Bowes aren't, Galway are, Cork are, um, I'm missing. Pat. Sure. Pat's are fun to yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so there is getting there, like, you know, I just, it is getting there. But mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, you know, it won't be long until Bowes are full-time anyway, I think either next year or the year behind, so, yeah, I, I don't see it too far away until literally 100% of teams are full-time. And that's definitely going to to bring on the league. And like, why aren't Bose? Is there certain requirements to become professional? No, I don't think it's anything like that. I think it's um, I don't really know why. Like, look, Bose are in a great position at the moment. Obviously, last year with European money, they've sold Matt Doherty. Um, 
they're in a good position. Like they are paying full time wages. There's lads down now. They're paying good wages. Suppose they can and it should be full time. I don't know. I know I spoke to Keith before about it. I don't know if certain players because they're working or maybe the staff are working. I know Trev, the coach, uh, the assistant manager works. I don't know what's that to do with that, but uh, it's a big thing now as well when you're trying to sign players and go full time and or part time. It's called part time training the evenings, but. It's getting the days now where I don't think players want to train in the evening, you know. So mm. it, it is accurate if you're looking at like you want to sign a proposal, want to sign a player, and another team are in from that full time, it could sway away. Both it definitely is the opportunity to play, you know, professional full time, you know, it's yeah. definitely something not to uh not to reject. And like, would would that have been a reason for you moving up to, to Dundalk just to have more kind of a structure? No, no, well. It's, it's an absolute bonus that I, I was, but um, look, I, I've been back with Bose five years. Uh, I've been with Key five years. I literally turned 31 there at the end of last season. So when Stevie spoke to me and asked me about coming to the Dundalk, I was thinking it was the right time. I hadn't had the greatest season with Bose the year before, and obviously turning 31 and not getting any younger. Uh, I want to real go at somewhere else. and getting to work with Stevie O'Donnell and that he's obviously done a great job with Pats he's someone I'd known very well and played with so uh, and a chance to get back to the dock I've been there two times before and success they have and it's a massive club and like you said to get back to playing full-time football it, it was just a great opportunity for me Definitely, definitely Um, I like to bring listeners back to kind of you know kind of create a picture of the interviewee how they end up where they are today um, yeah. Just briefly, like as a child, would you play other sports? Or was it always football? No, like oh look, it was always football. That was my main sport. But uh, I'd have tried anything growing up. As in, like ga, I think Allianz, my local ga club, oh, is yeah. Right. yeah, that's literally across the road from me. They were great Guinness in there as well. They do, <laughs> yeah. But uh, now never really heard it. But uh, love tennis. Did mind golf any any sport honestly even. Rounders, that, that on the road, like even running, believe it or not, I don't cross country in school. Now I hate them. <laughs> yeah, and I was very, very sporty growing up. I was always outdoors and coming home, manky, my ma sending me in to get the shower, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I was always playing and running around. And you like, I suppose, you know, looking back, burnout wasn't the thing back then, but it was looking back, do you think it was good that? you kind of got an overall experience at that age, you know, and like, because for example, if you're a very one dimensional at that age, your body would have been very one dimensional when you grow, when you, when you got older, but the fact you were playing different sports, you know, it, it improved different. No, no, I don't think any badness can come from playing any other sports. Um, look, when you play guy, you have to toughen up a little bit, don't you? Because you're taking hard and it's more physical. Playing tennis, it's an individual sport, so like you've got to look after yourself there. And if you're playing bad, you haven't got a teammate to dig out, you have to sort yourself out. So that can, all them little things add up. And probably at the time, you don't even realise what it's doing to you. But in there, the back of your head, it's storing stuff that might help you a few years down the line. So 100%, just because your kid's great at football and he loves football, I'd never stop a kid or anyone should never stop them from playing other sports because they're going to pick up different qualities from that sport that could help them with football a few years down the line. So absolutely not. No, I love playing any different sport than that. Yeah, it definitely improves your overall coordination when you're older, you know, different things. 
Um, I just kind of put you on the spot now, but do you think experiences of your youth shaped you into the person you are today? If so, how? Um, as a footballer, definitely. Um, growing up, um, I had a great a little area, a little estate. We had a few different estates around, so it's kind of like three kind of groups to be like the oldest group. Say me, old, me my older brother's five years old. Me to be like his group, and then a few lads a little bit younger, and then my age. But I was always playing football with them, so I was always playing against my brother growing up, playing against the bigger lads. So I was getting kicked, pushed, everything around me. So I think I'd say some of my where I learned to play football was on the green, you know, playing against all the lads, learning how to move your feet quicker because you have to be better than them lads because you're not as strong as them. Um, like growing up, football, what do you get? A half, an hour on a Tuesday, an hour on a Thursday, uh, training, and then you play a match Saturday. So you've really only got two hours to train in a week. That's not going to... All your hours you spend out on the road and that, that's where, that's, that's your, um, what do you call it, your... Um, grounding, yeah, your training yeah. and your grounding and all that, yeah. That's what I'm saying, especially playing against all the lads. Where, like, I think that's where I got my apprenticeship. Like, you know what I mean? Playing against the older lads, getting your kicks and your pushes because they don't want this little lad running by them. You know. <laughs> Throughout your career, do you ever actually get any interest from teams abroad? I couldn't find anything online about it, but that doesn't say. No, not really. Um, look, I'd. Loving the opportunity. Look, growing up, all I wanted to do was play for Man United, and that. Um, no, I was, I was probably never good enough. You know, I had a few stints of great form and that and that, but uh, now not not never came abroad. Something I would have loved it down, but uh, no, it never came about to be honest. And did you play Kennedy Cup? Or was that around schoolboy? Like I was never really a, a big dog. I never even went on trials or anything like that. So oh, my underage were kind of been. Started under eight. Um, I played with one of my best mates around the corner, Lockham Cheryl. He, um, he had a great League of Ireland career, Lockham. He's still one of my best mates. He's player coach now at Wexford Youths. So I played on his sort of the team over age. That was my kind of season. And then the next year, I had to play my own age. Uh, one game all season. One game. Oh, we got battered. I remember it. And I remember the last game of the season. I remember so specifically my ma goes make sure you say goodbye to everyone now because you're leaving I was like what? so I went to River Valley another team and they were, they were obviously a better team and done well looking then I kind of went to 11 Premier that was like the highest school boy was at Kevin's now Kevin's weren't what they were now then we were like yeah. Asian and that oh were they? But yeah yeah but I wasn't really like I'd be like one of the best players in training, but when it came to a match, I could never really show me ability or something like that. I don't know what it was, but something I struggled with. I wouldn't even get me game. And then, strangely enough, we played in a tournament in the AOL. It was like a, a pre-season kind of tournament. And the manager put me right back. And I don't ask me why, but I started playing right back. And I just kept kind of going on mazy runs and that. And... Out of nowhere, I got Ireland trials right back. Mad Jesus. thing. Yeah. I like, went from not getting me game to getting Ireland trials. Couldn't believe it. And then, yeah, I kind of done well at right back. Belvo ended up coming in, signing for Belvo. Um, with a half-decent team. We were kind of mid-table, Belvo. There was a lot of better teams. But then gradually, as I trained and played more, I kind of went more up the pitch, right wing or up front. 
but yeah, like never, never on trials. I was kind of like there was a top bracket of lads who are going on trials and you know went away and moved away. I was probably that bracket underneath, but I never really felt like I was probably intimidated by all them players because they were just going on trials and automatically I thought they were probably better than me. Looking back, that's the way I kind of looked at it, and I was wrong. Like you know what I mean, but that's how I was at that age. And you, you mentioned there that you know you were you know you would perform in training, but when it kind of came to the match days, it just wasn't really clicking for you. The fact you're older now, and you you know you've had a good established career in the League of Ireland. Looking back, can you kind of pinpoint why the performance it wasn't clicking? I know you're younger, but just out of curiosity, think of it now is. I always had this thing, um, especially when I was younger, say we're playing Kevin's and more Cherry Orchard, the best team, automatically going out on the pitch, I just think he's better than me because he plays for Cherry Orchard. You know, maybe it was just that superior. 100% was. I always kind of thought, like, even when I started League of Ireland, uh, just looking at the opposition players, I just look at them and I think, Gee, look at the size of his legs or something like that. You know, only as a young lad and go, oh, these must be better than me. And then you realise... You're never that far off it, you know, and even playing in Europe, you think, you look at these lads coming out and you're like, these must be unreal, they're more tanned, they've better hair and all, but like, never that far off it, you know what I mean? But it's just that thing that they play at a better team or a better level that they're automatically better. And yeah, that's what I think I had underage that it was just always felt these lads were superior to me because they were at a better team. And do you think, uh, I suppose at the time is, is probably obviously hard to point it, but um, I- with some terminology on it, but do you think it was kind of, you know, nowadays you've all these words been thrown around, but do you think that it was, it was probably negative self-talk? Yeah, 100%, 100%, like beating me, like I'm defeated before I go out onto the pitch, you know, and you're like, look, you're, you're young at the age, you don't know what that is, but that's me, I've always been like, I like thinking about the game and that, and probably sometimes that lets me down because I do your homework and you look into it and you're like, jeez, that like, brilliant I'll have to be careful of him but sometimes it's better to be unknown and not known about the player you know what I mean because yeah. you're not thinking about just kind of maybe doing what more comes natural to you you know what I mean so I don't know I don't know what's right at the end of the day but probably sometimes it did let me down you know that definitely well it definitely did um, you 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 joined UCD then uh, in 2008 and you just you know you you won the league I think the next year was in 2009 um, but uh, what I found interesting, obviously not interesting in a good way, which is obviously in a bad way, that unfortunately you had a lot of injuries throughout your career are kind of important points. Um, how do you deal with that? Because things were kind of getting going, and then you were injured. Yeah, well, to be fair, like I haven't been that bad, that unlucky with injuries. Um, up until I signed for Dundalk when I done my cruise ship. I'd say I'd missed maybe four games through injury and that. Like, I've always been quite... I would touch wood and say I'd be... Um, look, when I'd done my cruise shit at Dundalk, um, Stephen Kenny was the manager. He came in. I saw him from that. That was like... We were like an unknown. A whole team kind of put together. That was the first year with Stephen there at Dundalk. Um, it was going well. I, I played every game. I, I think I started um, 16 out of the league, 18 league games and... It was the game before the break. I remember it well. I came on against Pats. We had beaten them 2-1. But like I said, late on in the game, I, I got a pass and done my cruise. Um, didn't think anything of it at the time. I just kind of heard a pop in my knee. 
stayed down, tried to put weight and I couldn't. And it was the game before the break. So I went for an x-ray the next day. Obviously, it doesn't show up on an x-ray. Uh, you're cruciate. So they just booked me in for an MRI two or three days later. And I remember walking into the MRI, Stephen rang me. And I think I said something like this. I don't think there's any point in me going in here. My knee is fine. Like I was walking into the MRI thinking it was fine. And yeah, like to get a phone call saying you've done your cruise and you need to get an operation and it's a minimum of six months. Yeah, like I'd never experienced it in that before. So it was tough to take, but it was an unknown. So I'd never really experienced an injury before. So yeah, it was tough to deal with and knowing you're out for the rest of the season as well. And... Yeah, I think was it around 2010 or 11 around that time? A lot of people started experiencing cruciate injuries. Was it around that time? Uh, yeah, I only said that the other day that it just became so common because we were in the physio room the other day, and I think it was like me, Garth, John Mountney, and someone else chatting, and all four of us had done a cruciate. And you're like, it's like you say, it is like it, I don't know what it is in the last 10 15 years. I don't know what the pitches or a train or whatever it is, but uh, it has become a lot more common to be honest. Yeah, definitely, whatever reason that is, if it's you'd have to ask videos. <laughs> and you know, when you were doing the rehab, um, that's obviously extremely testing, but when you returned onto the pitch, can you kind of bring us through the psychological? Uh, struggle you went through you know you might be afraid to put weight on the foot and things yeah so um, I obviously missed the second half of the season through that um, look at the end of the day when, I, when it happened like you're out for six months I just knew straight away you're out for six months I always feel for players who get niggles and setbacks and setbacks and setbacks and break down I always feel like that's worse at least when you know right you've done your operation you're back here in six months for testing. So you can just get the head down and walk towards it. Um, it is, well, like, look, I love being around the dressing room. I've always enjoyed it. So I was always in every day, you know, even if I didn't need to be in or if I had to rest, I'd always come in. So you'd come in, you'd see the physio, you'd have to crack with the lads, but then it would hit you where the lads go out training and you go to the gym and you're all. So that's tough. But you just have to get on with it. You have no other choice. You get over, you do it. Um, I'm not the greatest for running and training on my own I need someone there pushing me so that was something I had to deal with as well but um, I was lucky enough Stephen kept me back kept me at the end of the season I sat down and spoke with him and he said uh, I'd still like to keep you for next season so all I had to do was I had a six month test you go back to the sports clinic in Santry and you do tests on your knee and then once they give you the all clear you're fine so Stephen says once you get the all clear I'll sign you back so the lads had done brilliant that second end of the season uh, under Stephen. We came second and we brought in some good signings. We signed Daryl Horgan and that and it looked like we could have a, a good go with the league, you know. So I was eager to get back into the team and I was a little bit behind coming back pre-season and that and uh, I knew, look, at the start of the season, I, I, I'd be fighting to get just back into the squads and that. But um, I never had a problem with my injuries. I came back fine. Everything was fine. But that year the team took off they were winning week in, week out, and I, I couldn't make the benches and that, so I was finding it hard. But I got myself back into the, the squads and that. And I remember I came on against um, Drotter. We were 6-0 up. We won 7-0, but I got on for 10 minutes anyway. I was buzzing. I had, it would nearly been up to about, I'd say, eight, nine months since I played. Um, 
it's mad, like you said, them little feelings come back that you forget. Like when I ended up setting up the seven goal day, Macmillan scored. And you know that buzz when a goal gets in that you just, yeah, it was like I scored a hat-trick or something, that feeling that just <laughs> came up. Them little things that you miss that you don't appreciate that you have, even just warming up and that, it was like, Jesus, it's great to be back. But uh, yeah, like football, lads get tough for injuries. But to be fair, that crucial, I, 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 at least you know, with six months and that, you know, it was fine that you could walk towards it. So, uh, but it was a tough year, obviously, that year with the lads brilliant every week. And I found it hard to play that year, you know. At least when you, um, Yes, yeah, yeah. That point, at least when you when you did it, you knew that bang, six months time, you need to be back there. But with the cruise, did you ever like you were lucky you didn't do do it in the other knee, or you're lucky you didn't do it again? You know, throughout your career? no. Like I said, like I've never really had a problem since. Um, I I I remember talking to um the the year I signed back on the team when I was coming back from the injury. He sent me to do the. The league launch in the Aviva, and I was chatting to other players around the league. And Fabio O'Brien was there. Off, um, dropped out. I remember saying to him, How are you getting on with recovery? And I said, I felt fine. And I remember him just saying, Look, it's going to take a year to fully feel right, you know, like just be patient with it. Like, you're, you're like, Look, you'll have the all clear after six months, but it just kind of takes a year. And I kind of didn't take it at the time, but I realized now after what he was saying and that's what I was saying to Mounts the other day I said like you'll be able to do things but it does kind of take a year just to get that kind of normal feeling back to it like so it, it is it's a strange one but everyone's different than that you know do you think it's the the six months on from the all clear or the seven yeah. months whatever is it do you think it's the psychological yeah they're just trusting it just trusting it like you said you need to go into training you need to get smashed in the tackle you need you need that you need a clash you need to but seeing training when you're training you're thinking about it because you're training but see when you go out on the pitch you can't think about it so that's the best thing until you actually get out onto the pitch you're running around and that I think that's when you know like I'm fine you do all the training you want and you're like I'm fine but once you go out onto the pitch it just clears everything and you can't think about it because you're in a match and you're so focused. Before we move on from Stephen Kinney, I'd like to just get your insight into the story I heard. Um, were you abroad during the time you were injured? Uh, something about food, was it? You ordered yeah. some? <laughs> the, um, Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, <laughs> I had two years on the Stephen. He, he was brilliant. He was, uh, oh, he was, just, he was great. He was so fa- I found him fascinating. You know, his team talks and all were brilliant. How he is around the place. Bad, like, but like, Good mad, I always thought, but uh, so enthusiastic, just kind of love football, real gets you up for a game, how he speaks to players, he's always trying to nearly get you on edge and get you going and that. Like, so I, I really enjoyed working under him. Obviously, it didn't go the best for me under him, especially in the second year when I didn't really play, but I never disliked him or that, and I found it hard not to like him even when I wasn't playing. But um, so I ended up playing a late cup game he gave me a run out in the League Cup game because the team had been doing well and I hadn't been playing. So we went up to the Brandywell, we played a League Cup game and I ended up getting a knee into the back of my arse, right? So I got a hairline fracture in my arse. Sore oh, I've ever experienced. So, so. So that happened just kind of during the summer and that and I was kind of getting back trained that I was out for a few weeks and we were going over to Luxembourg. To was this up. after the cruise ship, was it, when you were coming back? Yeah, this year after I was fine I was back playing and I 
So I kind of got a setback with that during the season. Um, so we were flying over to Luxembourg and that, but I wasn't available. I wasn't fit or anything like that. And he goes, look, come over with us for three days and just some hard training. So I was like, lovely. I wanted to go anyway, you know, even though I wasn't playing, you want to be around the lads. It's a trip away and that'd be a good crack. So we ended up getting a good result over there. And go out for a few hours in Luxembourg. And we had a good night. Look, I think it was a Thursday night. There was no one even out. It was random. There wasn't, wasn't a person. I had a bit of crack anyway. Good night out. And I'm not really a breakfast person. I'm not the biggest breakfast fan in the world and that. And Look, there was a few rough heads in the morning and we a few of us hung over. And I don't know why, but I asked the girl who was bringing out the breakfast, I said, could you just bring us out uh, like a scoop of ice cream or something like that? Like, I mean, just to kill the head. I like a slush puppy or a smoothie the next morning or something, just to kind of kill the head. So she brought it out in this big fancy glass. Like it was like, ah, oh, it's like it was my birthday and it was sparkling. So literally, as she put it down on my table, Gaffer Stephen Kenny turns the corner. I can, I'm trying to avoid looking at him, but I know he's looking at me. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Then I see him go over to Vinny, the assistant, and he's like, I can hear him say, he's supposed to be getting fit. And he just comes over, takes the ice cream off me. And nah, I had a go on that. And yeah, look, he's, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, I won't be ordering ice cream for a pre match or ever again <laughs> and like your, your relationship with Stephen was, was, was grand like there was yeah. no issue absolutely look I, I didn't play in that and but like you said the team were doing brilliant um, we were going for the league it looked like we were fighting for cups and that and it was real unbelievable buzz around the place we'd only been together and it was hard not to like him you know everyone was doing well and that so uh, yeah look it was, it was brilliant Stephen done brilliant obviously you see what he's doing we started to get the rewards with the Ireland team so Hopefully, long may continue. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, for a long time, I've I have been living in Dublin, so I've seen. I actually haven't been to a Bulls game, but I've seen the. Do you know what it means to the people around there? Yeah. And I've seen how it's growing as a club and as a business in a way, and how it marketed itself. It's quite remarkable. Um, the work they've done, isn't it? It's unbelievable. It's like I I don't know, like like. I experienced it when I signed 2012 that it like Bose was kind of on the ground. Like I think I signed on a napkin 2012. It was like as in like the club where I think struggling from the year before it looked like they were could be even go bust and that. So I knew what it was like then. Um, I came back in 2016. I went with Keith, and they were still you know. I think we were fighting really. We were tipped for relegation that year. So to see how far it came with Keith under them five years and how far the came, club came on and off the pitch. And even you see it this week with the Bob Marley jersey. like Unreal. Um, <laughs> little things like that's where Dan, Dan Lambert's brilliant behind the scenes. That He just thinks differently and I, I'm, he doesn't give a shit. Like I think he just goes for these things, but he thinks no one else would think like that. And it seems so simple when you see it now, but He's always looking to tap into something different and the club's just kind of massive now. I really do think no club's like it at the moment. Just from like that kind of perspective that they're just on a whole different level at the moment, boys, with that stuff. And yeah. even the week of the final last year, I went into the Bowes office with Dan and um, they'd done the refugees welcome jersey last year. Yeah. And even the final, Dan was showing me the sales 
on the computer and it shows like they show me the people that are buying it and he showed me the addresses and like all the orders still coming in that and it's like you know I don't like I don't know I'm sure books are run brilliant as well but you're just saying little things like the jersey and that how much income and how well it's doing and how much it's putting bows out there and that so long may it continue because uh, it's a great club at the moment it is it's, it's a brilliant place and like you said like you haven't obviously you haven't been to a game but I think when you're around the place you realise that there is that buzz there's that bond between the fans and the players and that so I did 100% get to experience that and it, it was brilliant I actually must get one I haven't got one um, a jersey but I just think the Bulls jersey out of all the, the teams in the league there's something very eye-catching about it it's really nice yeah. It is. It's cool. It's cool. Honestly, it is. I I put people onto me, even though I've left balls off. Can you get me that? Can you get me that? And I'm like, and it's mad. People always ask me for jerseys. It's like, you know, I have to pay for this. Like, if you think, like, oh, can you get me a signed jersey? It's like, oh, I can get a sign, no problem. But I have to pay for it. Oh, dear. Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, geez, they're expecting things for free. Jesus. Oh, mad. <laughs> well, um, like, yeah, so you've seen how things changed within Bose. Um, so I think you're probably the right person to ask, how did the culture change, in your opinion, within the club from when they're on the brink to where they are now before you left? How did they instill that culture? Um, well, one, to be fair to Keith, the job he's obviously done is unbelievable. Um, he's great. I really love my time with Keith. He's He's a brilliant manager. He's annoyed for a player and he's great crack as well. He's a very good person. He comes across a bit serious sometimes in interviews, but when you see him out and you see him behind the scenes and that, even he's great crack. He's a personality. Um, he's never really signed bad people, you know, like that, like Charlie, say, or like, you know what I mean? He's always signed good people for the dressing room. And like that, we've always had great captains and great. Uh, senior players that you could look up to who ran the dressing room so there was always that with Deaths or say who was our captain that you never stepped out of line because you, you'd nearly fought fear Deaths or more than the staff you know what I mean so I think that was a massive thing that I've noticed that you don't realise at the time but as you get older that your senior players like your Deaths your subs your morals that were there Bucko taking over that your senior player sets the standards. Not only are they good players, but they're good people. And you should look up to your senior players. And that's one thing I've noticed with Keith that he's never signed bad. I've never had a player in the dressing room with Bowes and I'm thinking, I don't like you or you're not playing for the team. Whether you liked it or not, you played for the team or else you were gone. And that's the way it was. And that's what I loved about the place that even if I wasn't playing that much, I always could walk into the dressing room and look around and say, yeah, like, I like who I'm playing with here and I, I like it, you know, we stood for something with Bose, you know. That's interesting, yeah. And, and I suppose if you did sign someone and it was they weren't fitting in, they wouldn't be around for long. Um he'd probably get rid of now. Who you were or how good you were, you kind of played with a team here. And that's the way it was. And it's a great team, but I, I think the biggest thing was the senior players that were in there that ran the dressing room. So important. And like you said, that's culture. That's something Bowes have massively and I've always had since I've been there. So having good leadership squads, I think that's a big thing now in, in teams, you know, senior leadership squads and promoting the good, the right way to do it. Absolutely massive. And even myself last year, I say I was the oldest there at Bowes, but I wasn't playing as much as I liked. And, you know, you have to do runs after the game or you come in training on a Saturday and the lads are recovering and you're out working hard and you're like, Phew. but I always felt like as an older lad that you have to, 
set that example for the young lads because at the end of the day, like whatever the young lads think of me as a player, I'd like to, I like for them to like me as a person and say, you know, look up to them and say, look at him, he's still trying every week, and that and that's the way he should be setting a good example. And I think Keith, no matter even though he wasn't playing, and that would would have noticed that and respected that with me and and the older lads that were there. And you know, when, when new guys join the club or even join clubs in general, what have you seen is the best way to help them settle in to the club? Or for example, you know, a new lad joining the club, what would you recommend them to do to integrate themselves into the into the team from your experience? Um for for a new lad coming in, you can't like look everyone's different in that. Like the way I looked at it as well, when I came in, the most important thing for me when I went into a team, like when I signed for Dundalk and I was a kid coming in from UCD, was kind of getting respect of the older lads. Mm. And then once you get their respect and they're all right with you, then you can kind of play. But I think it's a big thing, you have to kind of earn the lads' respect and, and find your voice through them and how they speak to you and that. I think that's a big thing. Um <laughs> And in order, like, like when I see young lads coming in, you, you want to make them feel comfortable in that. And that's my job as an older player, especially when I'm there at Bowes, as one of the longest serving players. Make them feel comfortable. But at the end of the day, you do your talking on the pitch. And it doesn't matter what you are. If you're doing it well on the pitch, you'll always be fine. You know what I mean? But it's good. It is good. It's hard dressing room to come into, but the young lads now seem a bit more braver than that. I used to come in and you keep your head down and you speak when you're spoken to, but mm-hmm. the lads when they come in now and they, I don't know, they're like going in, I keep the head down and you speak when you're spoken to, but these lads just come in and they'll sit in your seat and on you're like, get up. <laughs> you know what I, mean? that's, I don't know who's right. Am I right keeping the head down or are they right coming in with sitting in your seat and all, but uh, yeah, it's mad. Like they've all got agents now and they've more built appearances now and you're like new boots you haven't even played a game but <laughs> briefly before we kind of come to the end of the podcast I'd like to just get your you know your synopsis of that rivalry in Dublin you know Bowes, Shamrock Rovers and, and Pat it seems to be unbelievable from the outside looking in yeah um, it's definitely Bowes and Rovers I think Pats are a little bit on the side okay Ah, like the look, the Bowls Rovers games, um it's mad, it's hard to explain, but like even as you turn up to the game, you just it's something even in the week you're trying it, it's a big it is a big especially that I was there longer and that it started to mean more and more and more and the fear of losing was awful. And I think a big thing about it now is social media as well. You don't want to go on your phone after you lose and even after the final you're texting and all and that part of it and you don't mind it but um, yeah turning up to the ground and that and you can coming out with a warm up the stands are nearly full and that and oh, it's, they're, they're electric honestly God and the maddest thing about it is you don't even care how you're playing them you don't care about the worst game in the world they're never great games either but once you win and get the win that is all that matters once you go out with your fans at the end of the game whether you were shocking all night you do not care it's all them games are just about winning all about winning Um, but yeah I really have to say there like that's what you miss and that's the biggest thing about playing for balls and that was just them derby night especially when you're winning and winning and winning we had a great run for a few years there like no better feeling Um, you know when you were yeah, so I suppose going forward now, you're, you know, you're, you're, 
towards the mid to the, the, the late end of your, your career. I'm not writing you off. I'm not retiring you. Ah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, what are you doing on a daily basis, you know, to kind of to make sure you can still perform at that top level? Aside from, say, the normal training you have to do between 10 and 2, how, what do you do outside those hours? I, um, look, I was the oldest last year at Bowes. Uh, I'd book a little bit behind me and Rob Cornwall. Now, Rob Cornwall's 27, but he moves like a 35-year-old. He's a stiff. <laughs> we used to tag him. So we kind of, me, Rob, book be the three senior lads and that. And I was saying to him, there's something in football. When you turn 30, your body changes. And it's mad. Because I was always one of them through my career. Didn't like warm-ups. Don't need the gym. I could just go out and lash balls and do what I want. Don't need to stretch. But as you get older and all, they all catch up on you. But now I definitely noticed the last year. And I think I noticed it more because it was such a young team. And I'm coming out training and watching the young lads. And I'm like, I haven't even done that today. And I'm stiff. So it's a big thing. Prehab now is massive. Massive at clubs. Um, You're stretching your pants. So boring. But I notice it now, instead of just going out for a warm-up, if I go out, if I do prehab in the gym or on the, on the pitch before, it definitely loosens you up and that and how you recover and all and sleep and all. It's all like your GPS is now. We could be, every training session, we have a GPS in and monitor you. You do a certain amount. You're not competing against someone else. You don't have to run as much as someone else. You just go to your level and what you do and kind of like get your body known. You're doing the same amount every day, so you're not getting too high, you're not getting too low, you kind of stay steady. So, yeah, it's more just recovery, how you recover, how you prepare now. It's, it's massive. Like, I look at, like, your gig, even debts are going till he's 35, and I'm looking at myself, 31 here, I can't get up the stairs. Like, <laughs> quick, honestly, God, that's a quick. Um, what was the hardest, you know, I suppose, you know, pre-season is always the, the hardest sessions and all that, but is there one pre-season that stands out in your memory that has been the hardest to date to be fair um, it's a lot more sports science now pre-season they're not what they used to be where it was four cones and you just run and run and run it's all kind of match related and specific where it's more sprints and that but there was a time at Sligo where Mickey Adams came in um, we had on here he got sacked that year and then Mickey Adams came in he managed he managed that is clubs in England and that he was at Leicester and that Mickey come in. He was kind of old school. He came in during the season and he gave us some running sessions. Like that was probably the hardest bit of running I ever done at a club was with him. He was brilliant when he came in. He was real enjoyable and that. And but tough weeks with him. His first few weeks were very very tough. Jesus, I can only imagine how oh my it's a thought of running. And grand running my own pace, but no long sprints. <laughs> Just can't can't go any quicker. Like, <laughs> um, what would you've learned? We're, we're coming towards the end, no kids, so yeah, not, yeah. not long left. What would you've learned in your professional career that you you know you'd like to pass on to younger guys? Yeah, um, it goes fast. It literally, you blink, and two, three years have gone. Like I still can't believe I'm thirty-one. Like thirty-one. Maybe in 2008, I still it just goes like that. Um, little thing, never get too high, you know, like that. Never get too low either because football can change just like that. One week you could be up there, and next week you can get brought back down very quickly. So, um, 
don't read into too much like that. Like, you know, like just keep level headed and that and just keep working hard, really enjoy it. Don't forget to enjoy it. Like, you know, it's a short career. Um, everyone has their own stuff going on outside of football. So when you're in, in the dressing room, in around the team, just enjoy it as much as you can, really. If you had to look back, who would have been the biggest influence on your career? I don't really know. Um, I don't think, like they're saying that, like I've never really had a big, like growing up, I obviously looked older and that because he, he was older than me and he was better. But just my teammates, really, just wanted to do well for my teammates because any team I was at, I really got on with everyone and that. And yeah, just honestly, my teammates, I don't know if that's cliche or sounds stupid. <laughs> Same influence where my teammates definitely. When your your career does come to an end, um, again I I've said this to guys and I, it sounds like I'm I'm retiring them, but when it does come to an end, whenever that would be, do you see do you see yourself still staying involved in football or what do you think you'll do? Oh, hundred uh, percent. I'd love to get into coaching. Um, I'm starting to do a little bit now, helping out with me. I want I have to get going with my badges as well, especially um. That part of the game now kind of excites me. Um, a lot of training now is on the training ground, technical and tactical and that, and I like that side of it. I think I could improve players as a coach. I like that idea of the game and that. Um, I'm probably annoying some of the coaches and saying things and they're like, what are you taking the session now? But like, uh, that's just me. I kind of enjoy it. Um, but definitely coach, not management, but definitely coach, and I think. Why, why not management? Um, look, I'm not ruling it out and that. Never say never, is this it? <laughs> I don't know. It probably have to be a bit stern or something. They have to be a manager a bit ruthless. I don't know if I have that in me. But uh, I just like coaching because it's more hands-on and you're more in the thick of it and you're involved more. So I think that kind of would suit me better. But who knows? Had you any kind of superstitions, um, you know, during your career? No, not really. Um, I was quite good for that. I just like being at the end. In the warm-ups, I like being at the end. If I come out, I like coming out last. Now, Stevie, the gaffer, um, find me the other day a fiver for being at the end of the warm-up. He says it's lazy. That's because you're lazier at the end. So that's the only thing I like that, really. Um, look, if i done something during the day of a game, i done well that week, I might do it the next week and that. But other than that, no, nothing really. Nothing really, to be honest. Had you any superstition around numbers or anything like that? You know, some players. No, could. like never had two squad numbers, ten and seventeen. So I couldn't be ten this year at Dundalk. And to be honest, my last time at Dundalk when I was seventeen, I thought I had a good year. So maybe that's a superstition where I said I'll take seventeen this year. But uh, no, I think as you get older, you don't really realize them things don't really make a difference, do they? Like lads getting new boots and that, like you're still the same player and that. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what motivates you? Um, other players like that. Yeah, playing with good players and that. I like, you know, like I always use an example when, uh, Dawson the boy was coming through. Unbelievable player. Like me, me idol now he is. I loved him. Uh, when he came through at balls. Uh, so we had Danny Mandrew was there. Another unbe- like two unbelievable. Mm. Players. So when he was when Dawson was starting to come into the team, as in training with us, he stepped up and he was doing well, and you could see his talent in training and that. And 
we the game before our first game back after lockdown. Um, probably going off topic here. Sorry. No, you're um, okay. No, no, go on, go on. Injured. So I thought I was going to start in the hole, but Keith started Dawson. So I was like, "Jeez, my third choice here." Like I've had it two lads now, two unbelievable players. So the next day we were in the gym doing recovery, and I pulled Keith and I said, um, "I said, look, am I am I third choice here? If I am, I think I need to move on. I I can't be fighting third choice and waiting for two injuries and that's it." No, 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 no. He says, "Look, Dawson and Dawson was doing brilliant at the time, but he ended up getting in doing well that time anyway." But like I said, I was saying to Keith, I always said to Keith, don't be calling me third choice because Dawson's not number 10. He's an eight. He should be playing deeper. And he obviously has gone on to do well there now. But like you said, you're saying what motivates me is playing with them players, testing myself, not only against good players, but going up against Danny Mandrew and a Dawson and trying to say, oh, you know, I'm as good as them. So that's what I liked. And I always like playing with good players because I want to test myself against good players and play with good players as well. So I think that's what motivates me. What are two, um, I've thrown this to a lot of guys and it throws them, they don't really know what to say, but what are two daily non-negotiables? For me, just, yeah. Uh, I don't like players coming into training with a hump or coming in mopey and that, I hate that, I hate that, like as in, like I was saying earlier, everyone has stuff going on outside and that and each to their own but I think when you come into training for that two hours you know what I mean you're away from everything football's an unbelievable distraction and you're not thinking about stuff you come in you enjoy the atmosphere of being around 25 lads and having the crack like you know like football's a short career can be gone like that so just lads coming in mopey and the head down and grumpy I, to me I hate that um, anything else yeah, I don't like lads that don't come for a coffee after training. That I don't know lads that just come in straight after training and are gone. Young lads, especially now, like they're not even. I'm literally walking in there, walking out. And I'm like, where are you going? They just can't get out of training quick enough. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what they're doing at home, but yeah, that that annoys me. There's probably probably not football related, but yeah, that that annoys me. Yeah, I suppose that's you could you know define that as. Um... You know, I suppose interacting, interaction outside of, of sport. Good. What'd you say? They're probably just getting away from me, sick of talking. <laughs> um right, we're 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 coming close to the end. Um I have two more questions. Okay. I'd like to get your, your insight in. Is leaving a legacy important to you? Um at Bowes, I'd like to think so, because I love that at Bowes. Um I've had like right till my career was to finish now. I had my best years at Bowls. Obviously, I finished disappointing with the cup final and missing the pen on that. Obviously, that was good. But I really enjoyed my time at Bowls. I think I had a good relationship there with fans, with players, with the staff. So yeah, Bowls was a big thing for me. And I'd like to think if people were to think about me in a few years, would say he was a good player for Bowls. You know, he played for Bowls and worked hard and that. So that definitely at Bowls be a big thing for me. Dundalk, I have a good, like most clubs I was at, Dundalk as well, you know, I've had my third stint here, so I'd like to think people the same as well at Dundalk, but uh, yeah, definitely at both. Other play, other teams and other people can think whatever they want me, but it's mostly important at both, what both people think of me would be massive, yeah. You you mentioned um, that, that Pino and look, 
who every player that steps up to, to take penalties, you know, it's 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 very easy to sit in the coach at home and criticize. Um what can you kind of remember what goes through your head in those situations and, and the aftermath? Yeah, look, um I've taken panels before, I've taken panels that season. I like that um responsibility of it. Like I like taking pieces, I like taking corners, free kicks, everything I think it's it's a responsibility and a panel is a massive responsibility. Um so we had worked on panels that week. I put my hand up, I'd said I'd I take one happily. I'm confident taking penalties, and as an older lad at the team, I think I should take a penalty, you know, because at the end of the day, I'd rather miss than a younger lad miss so I can take it better. I'm more experienced. So when it came to penalties, I was confident. Um, I said I wanted one or five. Obviously, you can see I said five on telly, but I think one and five are the most important penalties because one, if you score the first one, you take the pressure off, and then the fifth penalty is a pressure penalty, whether it's the win or to stay in it. So I was comfortable to do that, and yeah, like they even it was mad when we were all lined up together when the penalty started. Rob Cornwall just turned to me and goes, "This is mad, isn't it?" Because you know the play counts. And, um, sorry, did I leave you there? Yeah, you're okay. No, yeah. I had a fall call from through there. Um, Cornwall just turned to me and just goes, "This is mad, isn't it?" And I was like, "This is class." Like it was. It was like the Aviva packed. You're going to take penalties, and look, I was confident stepping up and. Look to miss, I was absolutely good. Um, actually, been there so long, and that I've been there for the tough days, and and I knew I was leaving. It was my last game to, to walk away with a cup final medal would have meant the world to me. But I don't regret stepping up. Um, I regret not stepping up. It would have hurt me more if I didn't step up, and maybe we lost. Obviously, you'll never know. But no, I don't regret stepping up. I, I do it again tomorrow. It's just I'm good at that. You know, we just didn't get the win in the end. And. The aftermath, how did you deal with that inner dialogue? Yeah, like that that's what I found the hardest, to be honest. And look, anyone can miss a panel. Like I've watched some of the best players in the world miss panels. It was more in the dressing room after and then back we went back to Daily Mount after to have food and then we had to meet up with our family. And like uh, me at Bowes, I I always say I was more than one of the lively players to get the atmosphere going, and that's Keith would like. Keith would always ask me, you know, how spirits around the group. You make sure everyone's on it, and that's what I always book to say. Look, you know, if it was anyone else, get your head up. You know, it doesn't matter. These things happen, but because I had missed and the place was so down, I was like, I can't even lift the place here because I've missed my panel. So that's what I found really hard after it, and that that I couldn't be the one to lift spirits, even though. I had missed, you know, so I felt like I couldn't say something. So that that's what kind of hurt me the most. I don't know if that makes sense or if I explained that well, but no, 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 definitely, definitely. And look, who looking back, who would have been your toughest opponent? Oh, Joe and Dove. Joseph and Dove. Jesus. So good. Um uh, I got to work with Joe. Obviously, I played against him for years. He was so strong. I was only like young as well, so I was just in awe of him. Uh, his tricks. He just had that presence on the pitch. I don't know, like you know, you just go out and yeah, he he done me a treat one day. We were playing. Uh, I was playing with UCD. They won a free kick, and I kind of stood over the ball. And uh, you know, when someone walked by, I kind of just touched them by. He goes, "Hey, why you touch me?" I was like. Oh, and he goes, you racist. And I was, 
oh my god no I'm not and he see me playing he goes hey I get you pal and I was like oh my he just had that like aura you know what I mean and on the pitch couldn't get near him too strong too skillful just head and shoulders above everyone and probably the closest to come to him that I played against recently was Jack Bourne Jack Bourne Jesus he was we played them uh, first game of the season two years ago and the match got pulled off telly because it was so windy and the conditions were so bad and it was the worst match ever like no one could pass the ball but it looked like he was playing on the camp now he was just gliding around the pitch and all that was like different level like so yeah but definitely Joe and Doe would be up there definitely Okay, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Um, I I appreciate you taking time out because I know you you've, you've a lot on at the moment uh, for coming on the interview podcast and best luck with the the season ahead. No, cheers for having me on, bud. Have a good weekend and thanks very much for that. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Keith. That is all from us on this week's episode, and it's actually all from us as well on this series. So series two has come to an end. Um, Series 3 will be available in the next couple of weeks. It's, uh, it's something we're working on at the moment. So please do follow us on social media where you'll you'll find uh, all the updated information as to when it's going to be released. And look, we'd like to thank you all for the support, um, for all the downloads, for all the listens over the past season. Um, it means a huge amount. We look forward to releasing some more episodes in the next couple of weeks. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred on it fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening. In the next, we're looking forward to releasing some more episodes in the next couple of weeks for Series 3. Till then, please do stay safe and remember, cred on it fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.